You're listening to the Whiskey Investment Podcast, the brand new show bringing you all the latest news, insights, panels and interviews on the world of whiskey investments. Dig deeper into the highest return asset class of the past decade and look beyond the numbers. The Whiskey Investment Podcast is brought to you by VCL Vintners, the UK's leading whiskey cast merchant. Find more online at vclvintners.london. Hello and welcome to this month's podcast brought to you by VCL Vintners the London-based whiskey cask merchant which approaches the market from a financial perspective to maximize the return for its clients. This monthly podcast will give you an insight into the whiskey industry from an investment perspective, alongside interviews with people behind the scenes at both VCL and Scotland's most exciting distilleries. I'm Alwyn Gwilt, journalist, ambassador, and whiskey specialist. In this month's episode, we're delving into the world of VCL, learning more about what makes it tick how the work done by its team has helped its clients maximize returns in a clear and efficient way, alongside insight into the top distillery picks for 2021. I'm joined today by Tim Ashley, sales manager and co-owner, and Ben Lancaster, senior cask broker and co-owner. Tim, Ben, welcome to the podcast. Let's start by learning a little bit more about you both. Uh, Tim, can you tell our listeners what got you into this industry and a bit more about what you do at VCL Vintners? Hi, Alwyn. Um, yeah, so, well, to start with, we were and have been always involved in alcohol-related investment products. I originally started the company back in 2010, and it was largely focused on fine wine investment. It was a time, actually, wherein from 2007 to 2012, fine wine had gone up by something like 247%, and it was, uh, it was really a boom time for fine wine. However, fine wine began to plateau and um, we recognized that the commodity we should really be focusing on was whiskey and, and we identified a niche in the market and uh, our focus has been from that point forwards almost entirely on Scotch whiskey investment. Fantastic. Great way to respond to changing marketplaces. Ben, you are a senior cask broker. What does that involve and um, what caught your eye in the first place when it comes to whiskey? I guess in terms of, of the day-to-day business side of things, you know, the title is pretty self-explanatory. I'm one of the owners and, and the partner of the company alongside Timothy and Stuart. What we do collectively is, is drive the business and, and, and maintain the market position of the company. I think from a, a senior cars broker's perspective, that would entail dealing with clients and portfolios on a day-to-day basis. It makes up part of what I do on, on a day-to-day approach, but it's all coupled with driving the business and, and trying to maintain market position. I think one of the things we've succeeded at in terms of whiskey and particularly from a VCL perspective is to try and keep one step ahead of the companies and the competition who sort of work within the same sector as we do. I think one of the things that first caught my eye with whiskey was that there seemed to be an area that was performing incredibly well from a percentage gain perspective, but very little attention being paid to it or very little availability to retail investors or or investors that we would deal with on a day-to-day basis. So I think it was quite natural for us to explore it. A market that was performing that no one was really necessarily talking about gave us a real opportunity to be one of the first to embark on it and and sort of trailblaze a way through it. Naturally, with any new area, you know, you take your steps with trepidation, but a lot of clients would agree, and certainly we'd agree as a company, that it was probably one of the best moves we've made. And, And over the last 10 years, we've really been able to solidify our position as, as the UK leaders. And I think that 
in a nutshell, the main appeal to whiskey was the fact that one, it was performing incredibly well, but also had a lot of benefits. Excellent. And you've been operating for over a decade now. Tim, what is it that you do which is different to other cask brokers out there? It's a good question. The industry is becoming rather populated with whiskey brokers. There are increasing numbers of whiskey brokers. You've got an industry that is clearly in bullish territory and making a lot of money, and naturally that will attract people to it. Some of those are great companies, and some of those are really focused on flavor profiles of whiskies. And I would go so far as to say that some of their palates are far more educated than mine. We differ because we approach it as a financial vehicle. It is a prerequisite that the whiskey is good, of course. Our focus beyond that is on the financials of the distillery. Does it have any negative fiscal arrangements? Who owns the distillery? What sort of budget does that distillery allow for in terms of marketing, PR, uh, tourism centers? Does that in itself have an impact upon the brand appeal and therefore the demand and potentially the future prices? I think we just try to analyze it and to say to our clients, first and foremost, we're going to source for you and place you into a product that is going to make you money. You may not like peated whiskies, and this may be a peated whiskey, but ultimately you're not here to drink it. You're here to profit from it. I think that is what differentiates us and hopefully positions us above the rest of the competition. So actually loving drinking whiskey isn't a prerequisite for investing in it. It's just a, it's just a nice bonus, I suppose. If- <laughs> it's something that, uh, that brings a lot of our clients to us, but there are huge swathes of clients who say, I can't stand the stuff, but I know it makes a fortune. Can I get involved? But don't ask me to taste it with you um, <laughs> at one of our client meetings. Well, hopefully you can convince a few more of those, uh, those folks out there to keep drinking it and keep the sales going. <laughs> 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 now let's dive into um, some of those performance figures for 2020. Ben, can you give our listeners a little bit of an overview? 2020 in a nutshell has been a strong year. Uh, last year was probably to date some of the, the best returns we've seen. I think it's a culmination of lots of different things. I think COVID would have played a part in that. but I don't think it necessarily was the sole source of those returns. As I said, it's been a, something that's been building up. I think even if you look at this year's performance compared to last year's, you know, clients who've sold in 2021 have seen increases, you know, in double digits, which I think is is testament to the strength of the market just generally. If we focus on 2020 from a performance perspective, annualized rate of returns back into clients' accounts was somewhere between eight and fifty-three percent. That's a large margin in terms of a spread, but at the same time, it's a fantastic return. We as a company were were very pleased with the performance of those figures for 2020, both from a turnover and return perspective. But I think if you look historically speaking, we've become quite accustomed to those sort of returns within this sector. The whiskey market's been robust and extremely well protected, I guess, from the economic volatility we've seen. I don't necessarily think that we can focus or attribute the performance last year solely to a COVID effect. I think it's been a culmination of an asset class, which has been performing for a long time, but on the same trajectory as what we've seen for the last 10 years. So I think all in all, there's a lots of reasons to be optimistic. As a company, you know, we would maintain that the next three to five, five to 10 years should demonstrate growth rates of what we've seen in the last five, 10 and 15 years. Yeah, as you say, such a tumultuous year um, just across the board, but just amazing to see those types of returns within that challenging time frame. They're not restricted to what you consider the majors of the whiskey market either. They were 
you know, really quite spread across the board from some of the sort of lesser known distilleries to obviously the big boys like the McAllens and, and Downwells of this world. So I think it sort of reinforced what we know about the market in terms of its ability to provide returns for individuals or investors, no matter what level of investment they may have or the size of the portfolio. Tim, why would you say those top distillers were so high? You know, the rest of the world, other investment uh, vehicles were obviously finding it very challenging last year and, and will continue to do through 2021. I mean, from a cast perspective, in terms of the returns that have been generated on the high-end cask, I think it's probably similar to the commodities market and treasured asset market over. You have in circulation huge swathes of money, huge volumes of money. You know, those destinations that are really keen on whiskey, like Southeast Asia, have something like 2.5 trillion made up for in the, uh, the total wealth of their billionaires. And these people have vast sums of money that they are itching to deploy into commodity-based markets, safe havens during these unstable, uncertain, volatile economic times. And the truth is that they want the high-end stock. They want to go for the rarest, the oldest age statements from within the highest echelon uh, of distillery that they can actually afford. And when I say afford, their budgets are enormous. The fact remains that so many of our clients are absolutely insistent on only purchasing stock from the likes of McAllen which is why we've got such a vast collection of McAllen casks and certainly some of the oldest uh, in the country. But I mean, I think it comes down to brand appeal. I think it comes down to the fact that in times of economic calamity, people want to safeguard their money in a commodity asset and they want to make sure that it's safe by going into the most well-respected, renowned example of that type of commodity. And in this particular circumstance, we're talking about the high-end distilleries. And I think that's why they've done so well. Interestingly, the other thing is, if you look at it from a perspective of people putting their money into commodities. Traditionally, people would put their money into things like gold and immediately after the period of calamity and the rest of the markets normalizing and potentially the stock market stabilizing and base rates going up, they tend to pull their money out of gold, which is why you see things like gold, the price go up during these times and then drop down immediately afterwards. For whiskey, people deploy their money and they commit their money for a period of 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So you can feel safe in the knowledge that that money is placed in the market, pledged to the market, and will remain there within the market for that period of time. Long-term investment side of whiskey is something that not only certainly people who are looking to invest in it are conscious of, I'm sure, but definitely when it comes to the distilleries as well. You know, everybody looks at the the whiskey market from you know a 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 year perspective, that's why knowing that that's how long day. those casks are going to be maturing <laughs> for. So. <laughs> Uh, now, you mentioned there about McAllen, of course, one of the best performers was, of course, this legendary Speyside distillery. Ben, what are some of the reasons uh, the McAllen tends to do so well? And do you think it will always stay on top? McAllen's the pinnacle of whiskey for lots of different reasons. It's, it's well known that it's referred to the Rolls Royce of whiskies. It's certainly, from an investment perspective, one of the best performing assets you can find. I don't think there's any other distillery that really, from a, an investment perspective or an ROI perspective, is anywhere near it. You know, if you look at the secondary market, you look at cask sales and particularly those top-end cask sales, particularly from some of the sort of major auction houses, McAllen is the one that, that sells hand over fist. It's the world record holder for cask sales. It's the go-to for anybody who has an interest in whiskey. The first question they're asked is, you know, how much is a McAllen? What sort of entry level do I need to access a McAllen? 
And I think the reality is, is that whilst there's huge amounts of demand for Macallan, you've got to be in a, a really niche group to be able to access it. I think one of the major reasons that some of the cast prices for Macallan can be quite punchy in terms of getting involved is because maybe early 2000s, the distillery themselves stopped releasing to the secondary market. So you can find Macallan nowadays, but it won't come with the naming rights. So what you're looking at there is, is a bit of um, a perfect storm, I guess, in terms of having an aged asset like Macallan has the naming rights. You know, it's something which is a 20-year-old plus cask. And no matter what distillery you were looking to purchase as an investment, if you held a cask at a 20-year-old marker or above, that's something that is, falls within that old and rare category. So naturally carries a, a bit of a higher price point in terms of entry. But I think from a Macallan perspective, they're the best brand around. The quality of the liquid is second to none. The marketing is second to none. They're owned by a fantastic group in Edgington who really know how to sell products and have distribution networks all over the world. But they've also, from a market position, they're the top tier. So from demand all over the world, Macallan is able to satisfy that. And even with those with the new distillery and the increase in production, they're actually be able to satisfy the level of demand they're going to experience. I don't see Macallan being edged off that top spot anytime soon, just solely because if you think of a treasured asset, if you think of wanting to own the best of the best, Macallan definitely falls into that category. And I think that from an overseas buyer's perspective, particularly those HNWIs that are looking to acquire Macallan and have you know the luxury of being able to afford a Macallan, I don't see that demand subsiding anytime soon because there wouldn't be anything as a direct replacement for Macallan. You know, you do have other brands that are up there and some would say shoulder to shoulder, but I think there's only ever going to be one Macallan and I don't think that will change anytime soon. And do you see any other distilleries, um, have any other popped onto your radar that you would say have potential similar trajectory or are you know within that similar echelon of investment returns? As I mentioned previously, Macallan is the top of the tree. It's, it's the pinnacle. It's the Rolls Royce of whiskey. Does that mean that the other distilleries that are out there for investment are not capable of, of similar returns? I, I wouldn't necessarily say that's the case. I think that we're blessed in terms of Scottish single malt in having a multitude of, of distilleries that are capable of providing a good return over a period of time. There's always going to be distilleries that are making moves. There's always going to be distilleries that are performing well and they're always ones to watch. I think if you look at a brand or distillery like Glenallachie, for instance, if you look at what that has done in the last two, three years since Billy Walker's taken over, I think there's a, an exciting project there. I know firsthand from speaking to clients who had no interest in whiskey, who you know who own Glenallachie now and now own quite a few bottles within their library of Glenallachie. And I think that's a wider trend that's being reflected at the moment, because if you look at what they're doing as a, a distillery and, and, the, and the market share that they're increasing on, that's testament to what a distillery can do. I think that McAllen have, have really mastered that in, in terms of the actual market and brand awareness that they currently own. But there's nothing to say that other distilleries in 20 years, 20, 35 years couldn't be up there or, or superseding some of the returns of some of the big boys. I think most people would argue that Dalmore stands shoulder to shoulder with Macallan from a, a market perspective and a, a sort of luxury asset perspective. In short, there's a lot of distilleries that we offer as an investment that are capable of demonstrating returns over a period of time that can be in a, a similar echelon or show the same trajectory as the, the sort of bigger ticket Macallans. But from a, a brand perspective at this current juncture, Macallan, you know, it's a standalone asset. In short, the market can perform and the market does perform whatever level of capital you're prepared to invest into it. There's always going to be an option available in order to demonstrate an ROI that is suitable on a three to five, five to 10 year investment. Absolutely. It's definitely a lot of uh, win-win <laughs> situation about it. 
Um, you mentioned there about Glen Allocate, which I think is, you know, is a great example in terms of people now being able to buy the bottles um, since they've become more available in the recent couple of years. Tim, a lot of people buy bottles for consuming, but also for resale later on. And, you know, we've seen a plethora of whiskey auction sites come to market over the past few years. Would you say, though, that people are wiser to invest in casks and which performs better, would you say, at the moment? Both options have merit. The bottled market would be a more visible market. My personal experience is that those investors who have history within the whiskey investment arena typically start with bottled investment and migrate towards cask investment. The genesis or the reasons for this migration typically are, well, they start with economies of scale and they realize that I'm paying this much for this bottle and had I purchased the entire cask, the bottle price equivalent would have been a fraction. Perhaps the most important difference would be that a cask is still subject to a maturation process. The liquid is still interacting and engaging with the wood that it's housed in. It's still continuing to develop those characteristics, those qualities, those complexities. Effectively, it's still aging. And we know that as whiskey ages, the quality tends to improve and course demand tends to go up and prices tend to follow suit. So the fact that the maturation process is discontinued in a bottle but does continue in the cask, I think, is a clear advantage for the cask market over the bottled market. I think there's some additional factors. I, I always think from a personal perspective, the kind of guarantee of authenticity when you're purchasing a cask that's never left a bonded facility, that's been managed by a HMRC authorised warehouseman its entire life is, is certainly a bonus. Perhaps the tax comes into play. You're looking at the fact that you've got no VAT, no duty on your purchase. Potentially, you've got some benefits in terms of capital gains tax and the fact that whiskey can be classified as a waste in chattel. If it has a lifespan of less than 50 years, certainly that's a, a lot of people come to us and want to discuss this and direct them to their accountant. But broadly speaking, there are some benefits there to consider. In a nutshell, the bottle market is bigger and more more visible, but I think that's just because it's been something that's widely available to people over the years. And our goal is to open up and to democratize the entire whiskey cask arena, something that for many years now has been somewhat esoteric and secretive and in the hands of the few, when in reality, it's been making billions for them and it should have been making accessible to everybody. And that's our goal. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, very interesting um, looking at those differentiations. I mean, you know, just for those people out there who are considering moving into the cask investment space rather than that bottle space. Ben, what would you say people should look out for when selecting a cask for investment? One of the major benefits of owning a cask is that it's not stored at home. If you get a bit carried away with a bottled market, and I know from experience, you can end up with quite a lot of glass and uh, not much space to store it. So, you know, casks are, are quite unique. I think what to look for when you're looking at casks, I think primarily for us, it's, it's understanding the distillery first and foremost, because it's the liquid, which is, is the most important element. You know, you want to have the right investment and the right investment starts with the right distillery. The type of was it's housing, you know, it depends on the age statement. Most of the time, if you're looking at a younger malt, it's, it's going to be an American standard bourbon anyway. So I think the wood does come into play. But I think primarily for us, it's making sure it's, it's the right distillery, it's the right age, and it's the right opportunity for the investor. And a lot of that's going to be driven by level of investment and also the, the sort of time frame that they're looking to get involved in. The cast sector 
is a standalone. The bottle is a standalone. There might be a few elements of it that cross over, but primarily speaking, owning a cask is a very different opportunity. I think with the bottled sector, it's, it's very supply and demand driven. And, and obviously, if that demand dries up and you start to see that oversupply, then that can have a negative impact on, on the pricing. And I think that with casks, you're, you're almost ring-fenced against that because of the fact that, as I said, it's an aging asset and that's the cornerstone of any return that's going to be achieved. And as you say, with so many more people joining into this space, having that track record that you guys have is, is vital to showcasing you know, the knowledge and the expertise that you bring to the market. I feel, you know, over the past year, I'm sure there's been, generally speaking, you know, there's been so much more uncertainty around everything in, in life, in our world. And Tim, you mentioned earlier in the show, we, we talked about it being quite an unusual year, especially around COVID. And I think people are searching for more certainty in these times, you know, whether that is that any decision you're making has some sort of control, <laughs> whatever you can do, you know, it's still investing and, and, and everything in, in this uh, time that we've just seen over the past year has showcased just how much um, fragility there is out there. But what would you say in terms of just back to you, Tim, how COVID and how that mindset has impacted the cask investment market. Do you think it's actually made people feel confident in investing in these assets, as you were saying, because it's a long-term focus? Or do you think that will have any impact as, as we go through 2021, 2022? First of all, I, I think it's pressed a bit of a reset button. Some it's affected that way and some it hasn't. And in saying that, I think people have kind of realized what's important. And this translates to investments also. And Rather than participating in markets, I think people have had to reset and revisit their initial approach. Um, and I think that people are trying to simplify things from a very simple perspective, a layperson's perspective. People recognize that whiskey is something they understand. They see it in their supermarket shelves. On a plane, when, when planes were still things we went on and in a restaurant and in a bar, whiskey's all around them. It's in every country they ever visit. So they recognize the fact that unlike some new fad biogenomics tech that they have no understanding of, for example, or you know, some content delivery network company, which they have no understanding of how it works or, or what the finances of the company are. They can simply say, well, I, I know whiskey because everybody drinks it. You know, there's 200 different countries around the world that drink it. And, and Scotch all comes from this very small country called Scotland. So on the one hand, I've got that understanding, small country distributed all over the world. That makes sense to me. I think there's also a, a somewhat of a patriotic bent that people recognize they want to promote our own business you know it's part of the uk it's scotland's number one export on some very basic psychological level i think that people like the fact that their money is effectively here their investment is here it may go on to be distributed internationally everything tightens up people tend to um, mirror the rules that have been brought into play with uh, covid and everything's kept closer you know you stay in and you keep things near to you I think that's the kind of mindset that's been put into play from COVID. And, and from a business perspective, from a commercial perspective, it's had this effect wherein whiskey is a supply chain-based business, very manually driven. So the whole of the industry was pretty much shut down for 2020. And you've got no new fill entering the market, really. Yet one in five are drinking more. Whiskey increasingly steals market share from beer and wine in the supermarkets. And so you've got this already strained inverse supply-demand imbalance that's being strained even further because of COVID. There's no production. And all of these people who previously had their money in the stock market or in their local bank or whatever else, they're now saying, right, I want it in whiskey. And it's put an even greater strain on the market. And it's great for the investor. It makes my life very difficult. 
but ultimately it, um, it means that they're in a bullish territory. You talked just then about, you know, more people getting interested in this space uh, from an investment perspective. And I guess just to conclude, you've both mentioned the passion that you have behind the scenes of VCL about this democratization of the cask whiskey market. Ben, if you want to start, what are your thoughts on that and what you're doing specifically at VCL to help facilitate that? One of the things we've really tried to do at VCL is, is just shed a bit of light on an asset which has always been performing. People can get the impression that whiskey is something that's just sort of arrived. It's something new that no one ever did and no one ever knew about. And people sort of have that conversation or the question saying, oh, you know, has it benefited from COVID? And is that one of the reasons why it's done so well? But whiskey's been an asset class for generations. The difference is, is that you either had to work within that industry or knew someone who had access to it. Now what you've got is, is an asset class which has got a very good track record. And I think for us, it's just making sure that we're able to give people the opportunity to invest into something that they wouldn't have been able to before because they never had the means. For us to be able to, to say, look, you know, this is an asset class with a pedigree. It's an asset class which does perform. And now it's an asset class that you can benefit from. It can be no real surprise that people are now flocking to whiskey as an asset. When you look at what traditional investments are doing and not offering compared to what you can potentially see within a whiskey portfolio, for instance, and do so in, in a secure way that is removed from economic volatility, for instance. So, yeah, for us, it's maintaining what we're doing at the moment is what, and what we've done for, for years is that making sure that people they don't see this as, as an asset class they can't get into or as something that you know, operates in a, in a world that they can't benefit from. For us, it's really important to say, look, this is what it is. This is what it's done. And this is what we anticipate it's going to do. You know, if you are an investor who has a portfolio where, you know, you're being offered fixed rates, which are, you know, frankly embarrassing, it's not COVID that's driving you to make that decision. It's the reality of what your money's not doing for you. And I think one of the travesties of, of the current situation is I think most people would probably admit that the money they do have isn't working as hard for them as they've had to work to get it. So, you know, it's about maybe turning the table on that sense and saying, well, look, you can have an opportunity here to, to demonstrate a return in a, in a secure environment and, and do so in a tax efficient way. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's had a massive widespread appeal for particularly in the UK, but we've seen numbers from our European investors and overseas just generally are, are up. There's a real appetite for doing so. And, and for us, it's just making sure that for those people who want to benefit from whiskey as an investment, we're there to provide an opportunity to access the market. Yeah, as you say, and it's, it's that access of the market, which is so key. Tim, you've mentioned before about it, you know, previously being a bit of a secret society when it comes to whiskey. So um, is that is that kind of how, you know, what would you add to that side of what you do in terms of opening up the marketplace to a wider audience? Yeah, opening up the marketplace. I think just two words, accessibility and transparency. Various different ways in which we're approaching the market to ensure that these two facets are, are exposed and these two requirements are met. On transparency, I think that our exclusivity agreement with Annandale speaks to our intentions for transparency in that it's one of the only deals of its kind in the whiskey industry wherein a client can go and purchase something from us and they can go and see what is akin to a spot price from the distillery listed on their website and they can have some degree of comfort and security and say, right, okay, well, this company obviously cares about me getting in at the right price because I can see that at source, I've got value for money. You know, I can do the cross comparison. In summary, without uh, having the ability to expand any more than my, my dear cousin and partner, Ben, has already done, accessibility and transparency is our common goal. 
Fantastic. Well, Tim, Ben, thank you so much for joining this month's podcast. It's been absolutely excellent to speak to you further. And I know all the listeners tuning into this VCL podcast will be thrilled to hear more about the company from behind the scenes. So thank you once again. Thank you, Owen. Thank you. You've been listening to the VCL Vintners podcast. We hope you enjoyed getting more insights into the whiskey industry and investment world with Tim, Ben, and myself, Alwyn Gwilt. Make sure to tune in again next month when we'll be joined by more special guests from the world of whiskey.